With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina of SB Nation. Now, Michael, I trust that you made it back home from Chicago All-Star Weekend uh, to New York City where you were greeted by just tremendous news from the Brooklyn Nets that Kyrie Irving is going to be undergoing season-ending surgery uh, on his shoulder, capping one of the most forgettable years uh, in recent memory um, for, for a player, for a franchise, frankly, for a city, for a region, for a state, all of it. We can just wipe <laughs> it off the map. Michael, you're you're there, you know, front and center, uh, covering that next Nets team on a regular basis. I'm curious, what's your initial reaction to this news and this decision? I can't imagine you were too surprised, but what's your big takeaway, and what do you think it means for you know the long term future of the Nets, uh, if anything? I mean, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head here. Just a total waste of a season for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they they come out of the summer with. They're arguably the biggest winner. They get Kevin Durant, but of course he's coming off an Achilles tear. They get healthy Kyrie Irving, both signed to max level deals. And of course, DeAndre Jordan, how could we forget? And, you know, Kyrie was healthy for the start of the season, comes in, he scores 50 points in the debut against the Minnesota Timberwolves in a loss. And I mean, just, you know, he, he, tweaks his shoulder, misses uh, a good chunk of the season under mysterious circumstances. And it's just been really weird. Like every time it's fun to watch Kyrie Irving in person. So I'll just say that like right off the top. And I go to a lot of the Nets games at Barclays Center. So from that perspective, it's a bummer. You know, I was attending, I attended the uh, 54 point game 
against the Chicago Bulls a couple weeks back. And it's just, it's fun to watch him play. He does things that no one else can. But, like, this team's just going to go to the playoffs because uh, it's really difficult for them to drop out at this point. And they're just going to get shellacked in the first round. And there's just, like, no cohesion, no momentum heading into next season whatsoever. It's just, it's very blasé and, and really dumb. Here's the thing, Michael. There is no such thing as a gap year. A gap year is a false construct. And that's what they were trying to pitch us. Oh, it's a low-pressure environment. It doesn't really matter for the Brooklyn Nets. They're just biding time until Kevin Durant comes back. That's not how it works. In life, on and off the court, you're getting better or you're wasting time. And the Brooklyn Nets wasted time. They got worse this season. There's no question about it. Their basketball product got worse. Their team chemistry, locker room got worse. The reputation of their front office, their coach got worse. Kyrie Irving's questionable reputation across the board got worse. He made it 20 games. You're saying it was fun to watch him play. I wouldn't even go that far. You know, he did his thing <laughs> every once in a while. Okay, he, he made some highlight real plays. It was not fun in any manner to watch the Brooklyn Nets when he was on the court this year, not consistently. And certainly it's not fun to think about them or talk about them uh, at this stage of their life cycle, I'm desperately nervous and anxious for what all of this means for Kevin Durant going forward. What kind of an environment is he going to be coming back to? I feel like the whole organization needs a juice cleanse this summer, just like, you know, resetting however many uh, you know buttons they can reset. They're probably going to have to flip some of the roster after the way this season went. And like, you know, you're a college student, so you're going to take a gap year, right? You might go abroad, you know, you might do some incredible social justice service work, you know, changing communities, finding yourself, understanding what it means to be a human being, having compassion to your fellow man, and then you come back to college and now you're just like, you know, so much more mature than your fellow freshman, right? Or you could spend that gap year on your couch playing video games, doing nothing but accumulating Cheeto dust and coming back, basically having just wasted a year of your life. You can guess which of those two categories the Brooklyn Nets <laughs> fell into, Michael. They're in the second category, and I'll never forgive them. <laughs> I feel like you're speaking to me with that video game analogy. That was basically me in real life. Um it's Sorry. really weird. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's it's really weird here just because like what do they do going into next season? They don't know. They have they barely have seen Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie and Kyrie play together. Uh you know, it was impossible for them to see Kevin Durant with that nucleus. But like are, are will a trade happen here to shake things up? Like are they just going to head into training camp with all those pieces that don't really seem to fit all that well? Like they they weren't really able to fit those three together when they were all healthy in a, the brief sample size that they all all were active. I just think it's it's kind of a mess. Um and I didn't think that no, it was possible no, no, no. to get this bad. It's a mess. It's not kind of a mess. Michael, here's what I'm going to ask you. Look, we've played this revisionism game uh, throughout the course of the season. Hey, would the Clippers undo the Paul George trade? Hey, would the uh, Rockets undo the Russell Westbrook trade, right? Like, But I think we should be even more direct about it. Would the Brooklyn Nets undo their summer based on how this year with Kyrie Irving went? In other words, would they have dared Kevin Durant to go to the New York Knicks or to re-sign uh, you know, with uh, the Golden State Warriors rather than going all in on this buddy ball approach of KD, Kyrie, uh, and DeAndre Jordan? Would they have 
just said, you know what, Kyrie, we know you're a star. We know you bring some things to the table. We don't trust your health. It's been an ongoing issue. It was something that I wrote about when they signed them. It's a real risk that they had to take into account. If they could hit the undo button on their summer, would they do it? Or is that a reactionary take? That That is, uh, that's pretty hot right there. Now, I think... I don't think it was ever possible to get KD without Kyrie. That seemed like a package deal going back to like last December. Uh, so no, I think right. That, but Michael, if we're a package deal, that's a good package, right? Like you know, if people are going to take me, they're going to get you, or vice versa. I mean, that's a win here. Like this is a totally different type of situation. I mean, like this is a package where like you've got one great player. Yes, he's a little bit of damage good with the injuries, but the guy that you're packaging him with is not on that level, right? I mean, he's not necessarily contributing consistently on a leadership standpoint, making his teammates better standpoint, culture standpoint, winning in the playoffs as the main guy or one of the main guys standpoint since 2016. He's not checking any of those boxes. That's a big ask to give that guy a long-term max contract as part of a package deal, you know? Uh, I, I see what you're saying, but if you were trying to win a title, the path there is to get Kevin Durant. It doesn't really matter what comes with him. So, and I, I also think that yes, Kyrie Irving is quite a malcontent and very mercurial and, and polarizing. And he was coming off just like one of the most nuclear seasons of all time with the Boston Celtics and what happened there. Um, but you still just gotta, you gotta bite the bullet and sign him if, if that's what it takes to get Kevin Durant. I just feel so much sympathy for these GMs. If this is where we're at, like this is what you have to put up with to, to, for the title building thing. I mean, what a complicated, uh, messy profession that is. Um, can they do anything down the stretch to salvage this season? Like, is there any way that they can look back on this campaign and be like, well, look, it was a lost year. Kyrie wasn't there. I mean, they're basically stuck, I think, at best in the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference based on the gap. That means they're going to get swept in the first round, almost certainly by either Milwaukee or Toronto, depending on whether they slide a little bit more. Um, what's the best case scenario for the rest of their season? Win one game and pretend it's uh, you know a championship in the playoffs? I mean, what do they got? I would say, like, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie play extremely well down the stretch. Yeah, maybe lead you to a game or two victory uh, in the playoffs. And... Um, you know they boost their trade value. That's that's really uh, all I see as a positive uh, outcome here. Because yeah, the the ceiling is very low without someone like Kyrie on the roster. Uh, it's it's really depressing to be honest. Yeah, I mean just for context, Kyrie made more than one point five million dollars this season for every game that he played. So when we're looking at uh, this business concept of ROI, you know, return on investment, Michael, <laughs> uh, that's what you call a money pit. Um, he's going up to $33 million next year, 35 the year after that, 36.5 the year after that. I don't know, man. This idea of the undo button, I, they'd think about it. It wouldn't be open and shut. I don't care what you said. You you think you think they would trade Kyrie Irving? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm not sure how much they could get for him. I'm just saying if they could go back in time and like rethink their strategy, mm, right? It's yes. sort of similar to like the Clippers idea. Like if you're the Clippers, would you go back in time and like dare 
Kawhi Leonard to sign with the Lakers or the Raptors rather than trading all those assets to get Paul George, right? Like, is there a way where you could have finagled those negotiations differently? Look, we know you guys want to play together, right? But this is buddy ball. It's not been proven to work. This isn't going to be a good enough partnership. I like your vision and your your attempt to like put together a super team. But Kevin, you just picked the wrong guy. Come here, be the man, be the face of it in New York City. We'll give you the max contract, but we want to spend that money in a different manner on a different player somewhere down the road. We'd rather have greater flexibility. Um, you know, would you, I just feel like they would have tried to do that if they could have, like if they could undo it and go back, they would have given but, more, more ben, uh, consideration ben, to that plan. Ben, these are like, we have to step back and look at these organizations. They're very, you know, they're smartly run in recent years, but they are the Brooklyn Nets and they are the Los Angeles Clippers. So historically, you just got to do whatever you got to do to get those stars in your building. Well, they got to do whatever they can to win 50 games. And right now that's not looking great um, for this year or next year. I'm out on them. And um, I hope Kyrie Irving comes back with a different focus, with a different mentality, with an entirely a new character change. Uh, you know, it's like one of those TV dramas that goes for eight seasons. They just bring a new actor in to play the character halfway through. I hope they do that with Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, for Kevin Durant's sake next season. And I think actually Paul George and Kyrie Irving, it's a, it's an interesting comparison because Paul George uh, this year, I think came into the season with more pressure on him than any other player in the league because he's lost so consistently in the first round of the playoffs because he's had some injury issues and health issues. This is the year he needs to get over the hump. He had his big power move to get out of Oklahoma City after having a previous medium-sized power move uh, to get out of Indiana and now it's about time to, you know, put up or shut up. And I think he's one of the biggest stories, you know, down the stretch of this season. Can he stay healthy and can he perform in the playoffs to expectations and be part of a title team? I think almost all of those same things can be said about Kyrie Irving coming into next season. Yes, of course, his defenders are going to say he's got a ring already. So he's proven himself. You know, sure he has, right, to a certain degree. But this is a guy whose prime is wasting away before our eyes year after year throws one year away in, in Boston throws another year away in Brooklyn with the health problems uh, you don't get unlimited chances here at this high of a level especially when you're a guy who's a minus defender and doesn't really make his teammates better so you know from that standpoint I think that coming into next season I think he's going to have more pressure scrutiny and attention on him than any other superstar player. I think that if I'm taking anything away from this conversation, it's that I'm I'm just so excited, Ben, for next season at Barclay Center. You're getting me very pumped up. Like, I want to go on the street and sell season tickets to random people. Uh, great time in Brooklyn right now. Well, I hope that you're going to be getting, like, Chalupa coupons back or something, because I don't think you're going to be getting a lot of money for those <laughs> tickets if you're trying to sell them on the street. Uh, but I digress. That's probably enough of just angry Kyrie Irving takes for now. Um, I do hope that he's able to get back healthy, of course, uh, because uh, I thought his presence was actually missed at All-Star Weekend, too. Um, and same thing with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, obviously. But, you know, that final, you know, eight-minute stretch of the fourth quarter really could have used Kyrie instead of Kemba, you know, really could have used Kyrie out there on the court, you know, making things happen or Kyrie instead of Kyle Lowry. And uh, unfortunately, we were uh, not able to see that. Hopefully next year we'll be, uh, you know, back to what we expect and we've come to expect from Kyrie Irving. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Michael, we got just an incredible batch of emails from the Open Floor Globe. And they emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And... So many of the emails that we got were actually sort of in response to our All-Star Weekend episode, so I appreciate everyone for checking that out. And a lot of them were geared, Michael, at how to make the events better or how to make um, the dunk contest better in certain cases and maybe how to approach the end game uh, of the All-Star game so it doesn't end on a free throw. There was a lot of high-level philosophical uh, thoughts coming in uh, to the open floor inbox. So we're going to go through those in turn. But before we get to those... We got an email request from David, and he just put it really simply, Michael. Would you regularly and savagely criticize the Chicago Bulls? I know this is a big ask, but try to watch a Bulls game and watch the schemes being run, the substitution patterns, the lack of playing time for active players, the failure to adjust at halftime, the use of timeouts. Us fans think uh, Paxson is fining Boylan if he doesn't use his timeouts. And then listen post-game to Boylan's Field of Dreams quotes, his inability to answer <laughs> on a player's status about a DMP and how he just likes toughness. 
Bulls across the chest. Ball didn't go into the hoop. Growth plays. You don't prepare the road for the child. Fans always get carried away and despairing about their team, but this has gone on too long for the Chicago Bulls. This isn't the process. There is no long-term plan here. No star player walked away. The Rose injury did play a large part, but the Bulls only had a 1.7% chance of getting Rose in the first place with the number one pick. Imagine that same period with Michael Beasley instead. Fans actually are discussing whether they would give up the 1993 title if it meant Paxson hadn't run the team for the last 17 years. And this was only a portion of like a 4,000 word email, Michael, but uh, he says, please, any criticism, welcome of the Bulls, not me. So great email from David. Would you like to uh, regularly and savagely criticize the Bulls per David's request? <laughs> I, I loved everything about this email. And, uh, you know, I want to start by saying that my editor at SB Nation, uh, Ricky O'Donnell, writes basically a bi monthly column that calls for the Bulls to fire Gar Foreman and John Paxson. Uh, it's the beat he was born to cover. So I suggest reading everything that Ricky writes about the Bulls and their crappy front office. Um, Ricky wrote in his most recent piece, actually, that the Bulls are glad that the Knicks exist. And I can't really disagree with that sentiment. I mean, this team has been just, uh, as the emailer describes, just a fundamental embarrassment for years. And you never give up a title because of even 17 years long of futility. But um, I mean, the emailer really lays out a good case. And I'm not going to sit through a bunch of Bulls games. I'm sorry, I will not <laughs> just put myself through that. And I feel for the fans. Um it kind of just goes back to me, like I could go much deeper before the Jimmy Butler trade, but I just want to start there real quick. Uh, that trade was devastating for myriad reasons. I mean, you had Jimmy Butler, who was the fr your franchise player in his prime, very good. Uh, his ceiling sat just below a perennial MVP candidate. He plays hard. He defends. He was smart, unselfish. Uh, he really cared. And the Bulls basically were like, or I should say the front office, basically said, you know, we'll ra we'd rather have Fred Hoiberg. That's the decision that they made. And they traded him for Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, and Chris Dunn. That was atrocious. They then fire Fred Hoiberg shortly after and hire Jim Boylan, who is not a very good coach, it turns out. Jim Boylan is then given an extension after showing no evidence that he should have given given an extension. Uh, you know, the extension came basically after his roster tried to mutiny, uh, the, like, like uh, sitting out practice. And I mean, it's, it's a very wild situation that uh, I don't really understand how that man is still the head coach there. Um, well, let so me just interject here real quick. When it comes to mutinies and also front office overhauls, Michael, there's no half step in. OK, you have to do you have to commit to the full mutiny and you have to commit to the full front office <laughs> overhaul, because right now they're talking about reassigning, you know, Paxson and Foreman into different roles and maybe bringing in a new GM or whatever else. That is not going to work. OK, what's called for here is a complete clearing of the house. You can't go halfway with it. And that was the problem with the uh, mutiny that you're describing. The players knew it wasn't going to work with Boylan, okay? Players know. They can sit around and say, this guy's asking us to do like weird sprinting things and he's saying just utter garbage after every game for three months. 
it really reminds me of sixth grade. I thought I was in the NBA and they tried. They tried to do the, you know, to, to force him out. And if you want to give any credit to anyone here, give credit to the Cleveland Cavaliers players. I mean, yes, they knife boy, uh, beeline in the back as hard as I've ever seen a coach sold out by his team in, in recent memory. But at least they got the job done, right? I mean, if you're going to try to kill your coach, kill him, you know, get him out of there and bring in an interim coach. And that's sort of what happened in Cleveland. Unfortunately, Chicago just, you know, their players just didn't have the follow through. It's ironic because he's always trying to encourage them to play harder and play with more toughness. And they needed to bring, you know, more heart and toughness, um, you know, to the coup attempt. Um, But now they're left (laughs) in this situation where, they're treading water. I completely understand uh, his frustration. You know, your your take on the, the Butler trade was right on. I mean, the three alphas era, let's not forget how shameless that was in terms of, oh, yeah, it's really going to work with Dwayne Wade, uh, Rondo, and Jimmy Butler. <laughs> that was a that, great time. That had a 0.1% chance of ever working. And I just think that the the baggage is so built up. I mean, this email is not some random lunatic just ranting, right? This is the this is the voice of the Bulls fan base. I did some uh, afternoon radio with a show in Chicago and it's possible David is the afternoon radio host because these guys were just pulling out their hair being like, from an outside perspective, do you see any reason why Gar and Pax are in, in charge of this organization or what Boylan is doing? And I'm like, guys, I don't know what you want me to say here. It doesn't have, it's not a matter of perspective. It's not like you're too close to the action that you're biased. You're seeing this thing properly. It's a complete mess. Um, and I do think that All-Star Weekend was a good checkpoint for all of this, right? I mean, was there any win whatsoever for the Bulls organization uh, during All-Star Weekend? No, I didn't, no, I didn't see one. No, not at all. Right, so that tells you everything. You're a host city that's invisible in your own town, right? Um, other than, like, at the school across the street, they've got Bulls flags, like, you know, at the at the school. There's a Michael Jordan statue, so you know we we were reminded 30 years ago they were something important, but we're an awful long way um, removed from the Jordan era. Even I can acknowledge that as one of Jordan's biggest stands. And the thing about it is, it goes back to what Durant said about the Knicks, how the Knicks aren't the cool thing anymore. You know, my, uh, Zion Williamson said over the the weekend, "Oh yeah, my mom told me to watch you know full tapes of Michael Jordan." Well, the reason why his mom said that is because Zion wasn't born when Michael Jordan was a bull, right? So these young kids have no uh, attraction or magnetism towards this franchise whatsoever. They've only known the team to be terrible, just like with the New York Knicks. Chicago as a market is great, but it's not New York, um, and certainly it's not Los Angeles. And so they're in a really, really tough spot. And the only way you get out of it is through creative, incredible management and hitting a home run in the draft. And these guys have done nothing but swing and miss in the draft year after year after year. And it's just incredible that it's taken ownership so long to figure that out and to, you know, bring in a new regime. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a hindsight game plan here for what they should have done step by step. But the the, like the three year or four year plan after you trade Butler should have been Anthony Davis in free agency. And you are nowhere near being able to attract Anthony Davis in free agency because that that's the hometown kid. That is someone who I don't know if he I mean he's publicly he has spoken uh I guess in like with an intrigue about returning home to Chicago, but that's just obviously never gonna happen now. And 
you didn't even give him an opportunity to explore it as an option. Uh, you know, they're just not built to take a superstar and win at all. It doesn't even matter who were, who would go there. Um, and I, I don't even think that they've drafted terribly over the past, I guess, like two or three drafts. I mean, I just think that the coaching, the style, the supporting pieces, how they've used cap space, it's just, it's not been good at all. It's been a complete mess. Uh, you know, we were just talking about the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets are basically like the Golden State Warriors dynasty compared to what's going on in Chicago right now. <laughs> the Anthony Davis point you're raising is a good one because not only are they not in the mix for a Davis ever, I mean, they're not getting any traction with Giannis in terms of free agency stuff. Like even the Knicks are in on that one. And when you look back at like the last five or six years, the last high profile free agent to have any link to the Bulls whatsoever, wasn't it Carmelo like seven years ago, basically? Yeah, I guess they technically landed 34-year-old Pau Gasol. That was, but yeah, no, it was like, it was mellow and that, that would have been interesting back in the Tom Thibodeau era with Joakim Noah and Lou Aldang getting run into the ground. But uh, yeah, it's like, it's, it's, uh, they, they should be a destination, right? Like it's a big market. Like I enjoyed my time in Chicago, despite it being zero degrees. It's an awesome city. And the fact that no players are ever linked there in free agency is, is, it's depressing. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, I hope that was harsh enough for you, David. We we tried to empty the clips as best we could. It It's so depressing, it's almost hard to get worked up about, right? Because we're years away from them turning the corner, right? Not only do they have to go through the front office change and really go through it, not half-step it, like I was saying. They need a new coach, and they need to win the lottery. If they don't do all three of those things, I see no hope for them. Unless, I mean, what's going to happen? Like, Markkanen's going to turn into a superstar somehow overnight, Zach Levine's going to learn how to play defense and do something besides score the basketball. Like, what's their path? Like, they have to land some sort of a big time point guard kind of out of nowhere. They haven't had a point guard for years and years. I just don't. You're talking about like questionable pass forward. I don't even see uh, any sort of a a half step back towards relevance for them. It's it's basically uh, <laughs> like they're on a path towards sustained mediocrity like they're on a path towards being what the orlando magic are right now like wendell carter i I would even say i go stronger they're like in the pine barrens episode of the sopranos where they're just wandering (laughs) around the the forest for like six hours i don't think there is a path michael i think that they've like doubled back and lost track of where they were supposed to be and they might not be coming out of the forest no, they're they're in the van. It's negative twenty degrees. They're eating ketchup packets. That's basically the stage that they're at right now. Well, at least Gar and Pax are there together. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, all right, let's get onto these All Star emails. Uh, we got some great ones. We actually had two different guys write in with the same very good idea. Uh, Sean writes, there was a lot of grumblings about how the major flaw of the new All Star game format was how the game ended on a free throw robbing fans of the explosive celebration that comes with that game winner. I agree. Here's my solution. In the event that the team at the free throw line is within two points of the target score, each made free throw should subtract a point from the opposing team's score. That way, there are still repercussions for fouling down the stretch, and a team can still be rewarded for making their free throws without winning the game um, by doing that. 
And then uh, Mike wrote in with a very similar plan. He basically said when AD went to the free throw line at the end of the game, when he hit his first free throw, the, sc- the score should have gone to 156-152. Had he made both, the score should have been 156-151. to That way, you're disincentivizing any intentional fouls, but you're also ensuring the game ends on a, di- a dynamic play. And he says, love the show. Keep up the good work. So the only trick here, Michael, that I can see is that it would kind of screw up the box score, right? Because you've got to give Anthony Davis credit for the point in the box score without actually giving him credit for the point in the score total. And then at the same time, you're taking away a point from the opposition, even though they've already scored those points. So it would get a little tricky in the box score. But from a viewership perspective, from a competitive perspective, would you be in favor of this type of change to that Elam ending that we talked about on the last podcast? No, not at all. I, I, I'm just like, I'm, I don't want to say this is too confusing, but I, I could imagine in real time people in their living rooms explaining to their parents what is actually happening, why the score went down instead of up. I mean, the basketball has been played for years, and usually when the ball goes in the hoop, the tally raises. It does not decrease. Uh, I also just think, like, the biggest drawback here is that it has the potential to extend games and exhaust players and increase the odds of fatigue-related injury. Uh, that's kind of what we saw. Like, I don't want to say that players in the All-Star game got hurt because they played extended minutes, but what was really funny and what really sticks out in my head is Kemba Walker in his All-Star post-game press conference talking about how he was on a minutes restriction and he was not joking. And now the Boston Celtics are holding him out of uh, their first game on the other side against the Minnesota Timberwolves with a knee strain. So uh, it's, it's like... Yes, it is uh, an exhibition. It's supposed to be fun, and we want to see competition down the end. But like at the cost of potentially uh, hurting players, I just don't. I don't see it. Am I being too ridiculous with that take? No, that's a good take. I mean, if Kyrie Irving had played, he would have been held out until twenty twenty three. So uh, it's <laughs> it's a it's a fair concern. I kind of like what they're getting at, though, in terms of the the excitement on the final play. I. My only take here, though, is I actually thought the free throws were exciting. You know, I thought it was pretty annoying that Mark Davis inserted himself into the game, the official, and wiped off that Harden three, because I think that would have been the storybook ending. And Or if LeBron had hit the three from the top of the key, that would have been a perfect way for the game to end. But Davis going up there and choking on the... Oh, I shouldn't say that. Okay, Davis goes up there and misses the first free throw. And now everyone's real tight in the arena. Is he going to miss another one? If so, like, what does that mean? Are they going to blow this game? I actually thought it was a pretty tense and fun moment, and it didn't really bother me that it ended on the free throw. Um, it forced the teams in that situation to play solid defense. LeBron made a great pass to Anthony Davis, and it was a last resort foul. If there hadn't been the foul, Davis would have dunked, and that would have been the game. So uh, to me, you know, I think it was within the spirit of basketball to end it on that free throw because it was a well-earned uh, trip to the line. And it was within, you know, the the intensity of the game of, oh, can you, you know, with everybody watching you, deliver from the stripe. So while I love the idea from these guys, I'm actually okay with uh, with the current format. And it sounds like from Zach Lowe's reporting, it's going to be back next year. Um, and I think that's a, a good thing. Michael, are you in favor of them bringing it back? I assume you are. Yeah, it was great. And sometimes it's like, even if an ending isn't the desired one that we all want, like, you pointed out the I, I like if LeBron if that game ended on that LeBron three basically from the logo 
then this conversation is moot and it's the greatest idea of all time. So it's like we're a bit too reactionary, I think, just as viewers and as observers of the league. Uh, I think it was great, and I'm, I'm kind of with you. I mean, it would have been better if, if it ended on a regular shot in regulation, uh, but the free throw was fine. There was technically drama after he missed the first one, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. If LeBron hits that three, do Adam Silver and Phil Knight come out with a fourth ring for LeBron? <laughs> I mean, how, how far do we take it on the celebrations? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it would have been, like, we would have probably each had to write two columns that night, don't you think? Like, the, everyone around the league, oh, LeBron did it! Um, maybe does, better- does LeBron get the MVP? Oh, like, for sure. Like, definitely, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he had a case as the MVP of that game as is, don't you think? I mean, Kawhi was deferring more down the stretch than LeBron was. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, he was... Yeah, if he hit the shot, I would really find it would be like a bigger shock than Aaron Gordon <laughs> not winning the dunk contest, basically. Right. I mean, LeBron had the dunk uh, to get them on the brink of 157, and then he made the pass to AD, set up that play. So uh, that's right. a little bit of uh, recency bias. I mean, Kawhi was obviously the best player throughout the first half of the game, like no questions about it, but it was a real debate, and that shot would have put it over the edge. All right, we've got another question here um, from Mike in Toronto. And Michael, you know, we got a lot of creative emailers, you know what I mean? And I think that you're really gonna, about to get a real taste of where their minds go. Mike writes, I would hate to miss out on seeing future stars like Zion turn down an invitation to the dunk contest based on what happened to Aaron Gordon. At the same time, I don't blame the judges because in the history of the contest, they have never had any kind of criteria for judging. So I wonder what you think about this potential fix for the NBA dunk contest. What if they were to take some of that AT&T sponsorship money and give it to one of these AI companies to come up with a new way to apply artificial intelligence and analytics to judge the dunk contest alongside the celebrity judges? The contestants could wear sensors that would track how high and how far they jump. Then the system could compare their movements to the database of every dunk in the history of the contest to determine if we've seen that move before and to set up a quick highlight comparison for a who did it better debate online. In the end, the computer could give a precise score for originality as well as for vertical leap, hang time, and distance covered. It could also compute a consistent percentage penalty for missed attempts. Then, the judges would only be asked to provide a score for the intangibles like style and flair, crowd engagement, etc., etc. The combination of the analytics and the judges' opinions can be weighted at whatever level is appropriate, and in the end, we can get a more consistent outcome. I'm curious to hear what you think the pros and cons would be of this fix. Michael, is Mike the new commissioner of the NBA? Have we just, uh, can we just give him the job? What do you think? Mike from Toronto uh great name if mike (laughs) (laughs) if mike was the commissioner of the nba i think i would stop watching the nba i i am firmly against uh almost anything that accelerates automation's relentless takeover on society and i want absolutely no part of technology creeping its way into my sacred dunk contest okay stop right there stop right there is this about self-preservation are you worried about robots writing your columns for you (laughs) because look i mean i understand that we all need to work but isn't the sanctity of the dunk contest more important than our own individual jobs mike michael that's what I'm this is the sync this is all about the sanctity of the dunk contest I would honestly prefer a four-way tie 
than censors dictating who jumped the highest and trying to turn an art into a science. This is not how we do things. I am perfectly fine with rigged judges over uh, computers deciding the outcome of something that is naturally subjective. Look, Mike, I'm just going to say it this way to the emailer. I am on your wavelength and, and, you know, guys like Michael, they'll eventually catch up one day. All right. You are a robot. I love where you're going with this. So first of all, I don't know if we need to have robot judges. Okay. I'm not going to go that far, but I actually do think the presentation of the dunk contest could be improved with, uh, data analytics, right? I mean, we've seen some of these ESPN, like science-minded videos where they're showing guys like how much force do they generate when they jump, right? Like the sports science uh, documentaries. It would be nice to know exactly how high a guy gets off the uh, the ground, right? Or what's his vertical? How much distance horizontally does he cover? How much power and force is he leaping with? And I think that there would be ways that some of these scientific companies who are already engaged with the NBA on sponsorship deals would be able to provide that basic information. And I think it would be more compelling if we're like, as we're watching the replays, if we're also kind of being fed this insight. And now we know, hey, for this contest, Aaron Gordon spun at 42 miles an hour. That's the fastest that anybody spun in this contest. Or he leaped 48 inches off the ground. That vertical is the highest leap that we've seen so far in this contest i think it could be interesting data points and you know i don't know if you do that before or after the judges make their decision i'm kind of with you that you do want uh the judges to be able to just make their own decisions without you know a paralysis of information or too many things coming at them but i do think it would really enhance the viewership experience to have access to that data especially if you're able to do it in real time so i like that part of it a lot Now, in terms of like comparing it to the past dunk contest, have we seen this before and everything else? Um, Good idea. And that one sounds a little bit more ambitious, Mike. I don't know if you're a tech CEO or if you've already got this uh, technology worked out, but I would love to be able to do that where like if a guy does a tribute dunk, like the free throw line dunk, then immediately it pulls up Brent Berry and Michael Jordan and we get to kind of watch them side by side and compare, okay, whose foot plant was the furthest back and who who was coasting through the air the most gracefully and all of that. I mean, that would be another fun wrinkle too. Um, so I actually think that he's heading down the right direction. Personally though, I would just stick to the human judges. And I think one change that I didn't mention previously, Michael, and I think I mentioned a couple. First of all, you know, separation of church and state between the judges and the broadcast booth is mandatory. I think no more groupthink decisions between the five judges, right? You don't get to confer. You just have to make your own decision. But my third change would be this. Right now, they only let the judges vote six to 10, um, which I think has a tendency of kind of creating a lot of 49s and 50s because basically guys are only considering nines and tens. And if you miss completely and you're terrible, the worst that you can get is a six. I think we need to expand it and really truly make it a one to 10 grading affair. And I think you need to instruct the judges. Look, if a, if a dunk sucks, like Dwight Howard's dunk sucks, give it a two. If he winds up with a total score of 10, oh, well, that's his fault. That's not your fault. And if we can get more gradations and specificity in the dunk contest scores, I think we would have fewer ties and we would have fewer of these like three overtime marathons, right? Um, I think it would be better if we just had, you know, more sixes, more sevens, more eights, rather than just basically trying to decide between nines and tens for every good dunk. I like that. I like that a lot. I've, I've seen that idea uh, in a few other places. Um, 
That's impossible, I, I wanna, Michael. I, this was an original. I know. I know. I did not mean to call you out. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to go back real quickly to the the censors really quick, and I have a, a semi-serious question about it. Do you think that the players would uh, be all for wearing this, this type of technology? Well, you'd probably have to cut them a check, right? You know, and, and then maybe there would be like a corporate logo on their back or something. Um, I think in general, a lot of players already do wear a lot of tracking software during practices. I know at USA Basketball, guys have chips in the back of their jerseys that help, you know, let uh, the staffers know, are they getting into like a red zone in terms of fatigue? So they're more likely to be injured or, or things like that to kind of prevent them from some of those danger areas. So my guess is players would be open-minded to it. Um, are you thinking there might be some hesitation? Well, yeah. So like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head about a possible scenario where it's like, let's say, so I'll take Aaron Gordon as an example. Uh, three years ago, he participates, he's wearing this technology, and it measures his vertical leap at 42 inches. And then this past year, he does a very similar dunk, and his vertical leap is 38 inches. Like, does that impact him financially on his next contract? You know, we're obviously seeing a potential decline in his athletic ability, and just what are the ramifications of that? So that's where something I could see the Players Association being like, we do not want this as public information. Very interesting take. Look, I would say we're not asking for a blood type or like gene, you know, genealogical uh, breakdowns here. Um, so hopefully we're not getting into like the the contract sabotaging <laughs> privacy issues that you're describing. Um, I mean, you could also try to limit it so that the only information that they actually put onto the broadcast is positive. You know how they kind of like screen the the coaches uh, microphones like in the huddles yeah. so basically all the coaches say are like get back on defense let's do this and rather than like you know the, the real breakdowns of what they're trying to do in the huddle i guess Love you those. could you could sort of uh almost use the stats as propaganda in a way so you only break them out when it's flattering to the player if that makes sense no, sure. That's what the people want. Yeah, that's helpful. <laughs> well, you know, it's just I think some data would be better than no data, just like some coach audio is better than no coach audio. I mean, we do have to acknowledge that it is a production, right? I mean, as much as I want this slam dunk contest to operate like, you know, uh, the Geneva Conventions or something in terms of fairness and ethics, I understand it's not really like that. So there's a balance between entertainment and facts. I would say that, you know, some interesting data points where it's like, oh, this is the highest this guy's ever jumped or it's the highest of this competition could be helpful and could enhance the experience. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, moving on. We've got another idea here from Luke. He says, the All-Star game was great. I had this idea afterwards to spice it up a bit, though. What if every All-Star pledged to match the donation of the winning squad to your charity if you lost? This game ended up with $400,000 going to one charity and $100,000 going to the loser. uh, In this format, Team Giannis would have to have come up with $300,000 to make up the difference out of pocket. With 12 players, that is $25,000 per player. I think asking them to, to make up the difference of the money would provide excellent positive sentiment for the NBA. Also, on a competitive level, you really don't want to get blown out. So if one team wins every quarter, the other team would have to cough up like $42,000 a piece. If the teams were even, then you could call it even after after the game, and they wouldn't have to make up any difference financially. The players could write this off on their tax returns, and they're all-stars, so they're mostly on large contracts anyways. I would love it if the players put some bread on top of the game. Maybe it would even get them to try and win each quarter more earnestly. So what do you think, Michael? Should the NBA players who are devoting their entire weekends to entertaining us be forced to pay for the privilege? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> this is not a, a bad idea. Uh, I think the more money that goes to charity, the better. And, you know, as you just alluded to, I'm willing to bet that the players union would through a back channel, not be too excited about uh, a scenario where its best players are essentially selected to participate in a competition wherein they might lose money. Um, but seeing as you know that the 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 totals forty two thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars a player is essentially what they spend on an outfit, I bet they'd be willing to agree. Yeah. I'll say that I like the idea of having the kids sitting courtside who are going to be getting the money for charity because they were cheering and providing a level of excitement in the building that just was otherwise not there. I don't know if you want to chalk it up to the Kobe Bryant tributes or chalk it up to the slow start to the game. This was a very flat atmosphere until the end of the game, right? So having the kids down there courtside was a win for the NBA and it was a win for the quality of that game. 
I think the scope of the money that we're talking about, hundreds of thousands of dollars, is no joke. And so congratulations to the NBA for incentivizing its players already to that degree. There's no way they're going to be charging the players to make up the difference. If some player randomly (laughs) wanted to do that, I think that would be such a great um, symbolic step. And then they would receive a lot of praise for that, and that would be cool. My only thing here, Michael, is I don't know if charity should be competitive. If that part felt a little weird to me. So I understand this idea of, okay, you're going to get more if your team wins and you're trying to incentivize the teams to play hard. I just maybe would have felt better if one charity didn't go home with four times as much money as the other charity, right? Like if there was just an NBA Cares check signing at the end of the day that says, look, thanks for participating. Uh, thanks for cheering through the whole game, kids. We're just going to take care of you. We're matching the donation and everybody gets to go home winners, right? Um, it just I don't know if it's exploitative. I don't know if that's the right word. It just feels a little weird to be like, hey, come to our game and cheer and maybe you're going to get a lot of money to like support your schools. But maybe not because it's a competition and LeBron might screw you over. It just felt a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just want to start by saying real quick that those kids in the crowd was just incredible. Like we were sitting as media members on the opposite side of the court on the the opposite baseline and you could hear them throughout the entire game and their chants, their coordinated chants were amazing. They brought an energy to the arena that for, I mean, frankly, lack was lacking in every single other all-star game that I've ever attended in person. Um, Well, Charlotte wasn't that great either, Michael. I mean, come on. Charlotte was, Charlotte was bad. Um, but, I, I mean, the way I see it, and someone said this to me during the game, how weird it was that one of these charities was going to get more money than the other. But, like, at the end of the day, you could get zero. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how I saw it. Where it's that's, like, okay. And that's outrageous. You're going to bring out these poor kids who just need backpacks <laughs> and school supplies and literally tell them, sorry, you're going home empty-handed because Team Giannis was a bad GM. He couldn't hook you up. I mean, that's rough, man. No, but they they what 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 did the losing team get? A hundred thousand dollars? It was four hundred thousand to a hundred thousand, no, I think. They went home winners. I'm just saying it's the principle of the entire design. It could be improved. That's all. I I know Ben, but there were charities out there that did not even get to go to the game and cheer along, and they're probably like, hey, it would have been cool to even be a loser. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I'm just saying, put yourself in the, in the situation of the kids. I'm not sure how cool it would feel where you're like, this is about to be like a life-changing moment. $400,000, we're all getting iPads and you're going home <laughs> and you don't even have money for the Uber, you know, and you're walking home through 12 degree Chicago weather, slapping chapstick Jesus. on your face. All right, you're making this <laughs> so dark. I I think it's fair. I'm just saying it could be improved. I think it was a very, very good idea in general. Uh, I think they did actually provide a little bit of money after the fact with another donation, which is awesome to see. I just, the idea of competitive charity, it just makes my skin crawl a little bit. That's all, you know, that's all. Like, it, I don't know. And it, it could even just be in your personal life. Like if you donated $1,000 to whatever charity and then I like came back next week and was like, oh yeah, well, guess what? I donated 1500 That does That shouldn't make me feel good. And it would make you feel worse. And that's not how it's supposed to work, you know? Like, it's just do it for the kids. Don't do it for the competition. That's my, that's my only point. I think that your view on this is basically how I feel about censors on dunk contest participants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right, we got another question. Zach writes in, 
Uh, my idea to change is to change the three-point contest. They should have nine shooters, split them into three groups, and play a game of 21 by only shooting three-pointers. The winners from each match would then go on to a final match of 21. A big factor I always hear players mention is how awkward it is to shoot the three-pointers from the ball rack. Going to a game of 21 would put the players into a, a more game-like motion, and it would also let them play some defense. It would give us a chance not only to see who gets hot from three, but who can also perform in the clutch with a hand in their face, Michael. So what do you think in terms of the three-point contest? Should it be more game-like, or should we stick to this traditional method of who can hit the most threes like a robot uh, in quick succession from different spots on the court? Yeah, this is just obliterating what we currently have, which is interesting. Um, I I personally don't think that the three-point contest needs to be improved all that much. I mean, I, I did like the slight tweaks that have happened over the past few years, like the money ball rack where you can place it wherever you want, and then the Mountain Dew Zone this year with the 30-footer. Um I mean, this year's contest had, like, an amazing finish. It went down at the buzzer. Buddy Heald uh, hit his last ball when he needed to to win. I mean, there was drama. There were stakes. I enjoyed it. So I, I I don't know if this would be better or worse. It's just, it's, like, very different. It could almost be its own competition, and that might be something I would rather be talked into than replacing the three-point contest with this. But uh, also, like, who? How do you even pick who's gonna be in the the games of twenty one? Is it like the best pull up three point shooters in the league? Like, how do you even figure that out? Yeah, I think this. If it's going to be done, it needs to be its own event. Um, I think the defensive component is like a gigantic part of this twenty one game, and I think that that actually would make it not as entertaining as he's hoping uh, in terms of like what it would be like to watch because. I think the thrill of the three-point contest is you're seeing make, 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 and you're just sitting there as if you were saying like, wow, if I went out there, I could spend all day and not make seven in a row. And these guys can just do it at the drop of a hat, right? And I think at 21, if you've got Kevin Durant hounding you and you're a point guard or like you're Joe Harris, you're not going to be making seven in a row. You're going to be struggling to create a shot and you're you know taking bailout threes and it's not actually going to be that entertaining. So I would say, Zach... Um, it's a hard no for me, dog. Uh, I w- but I would say, <laughs> I would say, good idea. Maybe try it out for like the G League All Star Game or something, and just see if it works there, and and maybe workshop it into the NBA format somewhere down the road. I like the idea of supersizing the three point contest a lot, bringing in deeper threes, bringing in off the dribble threes. Uh, it doesn't have to be completely game like. But, uh, you know, adding degree of difficulty where you get some extra points for shooting off the dribble um, or from shooting near the logo where a lot of guys can do it now. I think it would better reflect the evolution of the three-pointers for sure. Um, And I would also like to see, you know, potentially like you'd have all these different zones that are worth different points and then the players could actually load their ball rack wherever they want, right? So maybe there's five ball racks, but nine zones. And then you could put the ball racks to the ones that you're that are your favorites. And some people might uh, angle towards the deeper shots. Some guys might angle towards just the normal corner threes. Um, and we could kind of see who gets the most total points from that. I think that could be a fun added wrinkle or layer of strategy to the entire thing. Um, but certainly after railing on the dunk contest for the last week, the NBA will not be listening to my idea on that subject. All right, Max from New Zealand writes in and he says, everyone was up in arms over the dunk contest um, because Wade gave the trophy to his former teammate. I've got some ideas to make the judging more fair and entertaining. 
Everyone seems to be too easily getting 50s, so first off, we should have harsher judges that people will really want to take seriously. Secondly, we need rules set in advance for the overtimes and ties, possibly only one overtime period. Then if it's still a draw at that point, the top total score wins. So let's stop there, Michael. Would you be in favor of that, or do you feel like you need to have like that winning dunk right at the end to uh, seal things? No, I, I like the winning dunk. I mean, I know it didn't like transpire how we all thought it would but we got some legendary stuff out of this dunk contest and it was just it's way more exciting that way uh way more memorable for sure and the fact that we're still even talking about it is a win for the nba and is proof that they will never change the current format so uh but i I see where he's going with this all right his last idea is this he says my very best idea and i haven't heard anyone else say this you've watched america's got talent they have a golden buzzer For the dunk contest, every judge once during the contest would be able to slam a big button on the middle of their desk that sets off sirens and lights and gives a player either an 11 from that individual judge or an instant 51 or a 60 overall score for that round. That would create a difference between a standard 50 that judges give out a lot because they're excited uh, compared to a true 50 or an overwhelming 50 that really has to be earned. So what do you think, Michael? Like when Aaron Gordon did that 360 spinning dunk that you and I both loved, would it have been better if um, Scotty Pippen or Candace Parker could have jumped up on the table, slammed a big red button, dropped the confetti, had the sirens go off, and Aaron Gordon gets awarded a, a 51 or a 60? Would that have been better? So let me get this straight, because I, I I do not watch America's Got Talent. Wait, um, seriously? So, absolutely not. What I don't. Do you, have, what do you? What do you? Who, who do you, what do you how, how do you have time for that? What do you do? I sleep and I watch the NBA. I've never I seen that's what it. everybody does. I, no, I've never seen it either. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just going off of what Max said from New Zealand. Um, yeah, shout out to Max. Uh, so just to get this straight, does every judge have at least one? buzzer slam in their back pocket or once there's the buzzer slam that's it and we can't do any more buzzer slamming um great question max did not specify (laughs) (laughs) um i think i think every judge gets one i think he did say that so we're gonna say every judge has one buzzer pull but they're not obligated to use it okay so guess what would happen if that were the case candace parker slams her buzzer after aaron gordon has an amazing dunk Literally, no matter what Derek Jones Jr. did next, he could have fallen on his face, stripped over his shoelace. Dwayne Wade's hitting the buzzer. So, like, I don't even know. Like, it's just, it, it's the exact same thing. So what we really need is a buzzer that he just ejects Dwayne Wade from the judging panel completely. <laughs> like, it just sends his seat flying out of the arena and, and replaces it with someone else. That's a fair point. I think he might be onto something with this Super 50 idea from Max, especially once you get to the overtime rounds. Um, but we'll see. Another person suggested that when they get to the overtime, rather than scoring each of the overtime dunks individually, what if there was no score for the overtime dunks and then each uh, judge was forced to select a winner after watching both dunks? Would that be better? This was the best idea that any emailer had. And I, you didn't shout him out by name, but Anton, because... I have to give props. Now, the only thing that I can say that would be a drawback here is I think recency bias could sway the judges' opinions. 
So whatever, whoever went second, like if their drunk dunk was on par with the first one and they couldn't decide, they'd probably go with the last one they saw. But besides that, this is a great idea and I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, you could even give them the opportunity to like have a third option, like, you know, contestant one, contestant two and tie. So like in that theory, if it was really tied and they just like could not decide, then both guys would have to go again. Um, I didn't mean to snub Anton. You're right to give him credit. Great idea, Anton. It was the best idea that anyone else had. Although Darren had a pretty good idea too. And his was, can't we see a hilarious commercial starring Aaron, Aaron Gordon where he just keeps losing dunk contests to increasingly ridiculous contestants? <laughs> Michael, if you were a sneaker sponsor or one of Aaron Gordon's uh, sponsors or maybe you know, an enterprising Orlando Magic local sponsor, would you try to talk Aaron Gordon into you know a flip-out commercial where he just is losing dunk contests to mascots and little kids and maybe dolphins at the SeaWorld and just like it continues to just get more and more ridiculous? Uh, based on this most recent experience. What do you think? Yeah, you know who would definitely sign up to be a part of this commercial campaign? Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart beating (laughs) Aaron Gordon in a dunk contest, and then that's it. And then he retires. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a great idea. Instant virality. That's going huge. There is no question about it. All right, Michael, we got a couple more questions just to tie things up here towards the end. This one comes in from my guy Diptanu in the Bay Area. Now, Michael, Diptanu is addicted to basketball, and this poor guy could not go two days um, without uh, NBA games before he started whining to me over text message and Instagram. And so he decided to come right at the king, Giannis, in his email. So he was passing his time during the All-Star break by taking shots at Giannis of Giannis Inc. Thanks a lot, Diptanu. He writes, Giannis towards the end of the All-Star game wasn't taking any shots and the ball was mostly in the hands of Siakam and Embiid. This reminded me of the Eastern Conference playoffs when Giannis was mostly a non-factor towards the end of the Eastern Conference finals. Do you guys really think that Giannis can single-handedly take over the game when it matters the most like a Kevin Durant or LeBron James can? And Jackson actually uh, wrote in a, a similar email and he says, I just watched a great fourth quarter. Despite some of the very best players in the game being on the court, I thought Giannis stood out both positively and negatively. He had three out-of-this-world block shots. On the negative side, though, his offense was concerning. There still seems to be a clear skill gap in terms of isolating with the ball and creating a shot when the game's intensity is at its highest. Contrast Giannis to LeBron James, Kawhi, and James Harden, all of whom were comfortable trying to get a clean look, whereas Giannis can still appear uncertain and robotic. It even almost felt as though Giannis was deferring to Kemba Walker, Joel Embiid, and Kyle Lowry. Was it fatigue? Was it a unique set of circumstances? Or is this a worrisome preview of playoff basketball for the Bucks? So Michael, people are coming for Giannis in the streets. What do you have to say? So I, I can't stress enough how we should keep in mind that this was an all-star game <laughs> and that Giannis was on the court with players that he never plays with and doesn't know at all. Um, that said, I, I think this is a really good point for, from the sense that the Milwaukee Bucks need another ball handler, potentially. And, you know, they could miss Malcolm Brogdon in the playoffs for these exact reasons. And, you know, if you watched, I I actually rewatched last year's Eastern Conference Finals for a story I recently wrote about Kawhi Leonard's defense on SBNation.com. And Giannis was a role man quite a bit in crunch time during the end of those games with Kawhi dropping to contain him and the other Raptors kind of two-nining the pain and then diving back out to the three-point line. But 
I looked up some numbers here, and I don't want to get too technical with you, Ben, so bear with me. But Giannis averaged 1.7 pull-up twos during the playoffs last year, and he only made 23.1% of them. This number is not good. It needs to go up in volume. It obviously needs to go up in accuracy. He's up to 41% shooting in the regular season right now on pull-up twos. This is just a shot that the best of the best are able to hit. LeBron, when he beat the Spurs and they kept ducking under screens uh, during those finals matchups when he was on the Miami Heat, he had to learn how to hit this shot. Kawhi Leonard is one of the best uh, pull-up two-point shooters, mid-range shooters in the league. And this is a shot that... Uh, you need to have in your bag because defenses are going to give it to you. And, you know, I know I'm I'm someone who understands math and I know that Giannis has tried to incorporate the pull-up three into his arsenal this season. But the, the and I know, I know that three is more than two, but he's not been able to hit that shot. And I don't have any faith in his ability to hit it in the playoffs. He has to get better at those elbow jumpers that defenses will give him. And when he can't get all the way to the rim on those drives to the basket, because that's just a shot that every, you know, pre-analytics era, post-analytics era, Kevin Durant has it in his bag. Like, you just need to be able to hit those shots. And so I do think it is somewhat concerning, and it may not matter, but I think that it could come back to bite him. It was very, very well said, very, very fairly stated, Michael. I couldn't argue with anything that you uh, laid out there. I saw a couple issues with Giannis. First of all, the defense, like the second Ian Miller mentioned, was spectacular. I mean, he was making plays left, right, and center down the stretch. I did love to see that. Um, Also, earlier in the game, he asked out because he was gassed because that's how hard he was going. And it's been a while since I've really seen that from a high-level player in an all-star game. So I really appreciated that from Giannis. He does need to develop his skill package and his shooting package for sure. His handle needs work. He's made a lot of improvement. There's no doubt. He's much better at creating shot off the dribble than he used to be. And he's very good at getting into his spots against even good defenses, right? Now, great individual defenders are going to frustrate him, um, just like they would frustrate anyone. And that's where maybe the weaknesses of his handle show. But he can make some improvement on there. And there's no question the shooting can come along and, and improve. And it will, because he's working on it you know, 24-7, 365, whether it's going to be ready in time for these playoffs or not, that's an open question. He's going to have that ability within the next two to three seasons, just like you mentioned, a player like LeBron enhanced his outside shooting ability as he progressed through his 20s. The thing that bothered me about Giannis down the stretch is like, whether he sh- whether he makes the shots or not, I wanted him taking it. I mean, Giannis, he's got the jaw jut like a Kobe Bryant. He's got that mama mentality in him. He's crazy competitor like Mike. I feel like of anyone mentality-wise of this current generation who's got the Jordan stuff in him, it's Giannis. And he needed to be disgusted when Embiid is backing down from the three-point line. He needed to say, you know what, Kyle Lowry, just stay on your feet. Don't go flopping around like a fish through the paint trying to throw up some crazy (laughs) mid-range shot. Just go stand there in the corner Giannis got this. Give the ball to daddy, right? That's what I needed to see from Giannis late in that game. That's not what we saw. And so, look, if you're going to be the team captain, is named after you, the highest vote getter, back-to-back MVP and everything else, Giannis, put yourself in situation to decide that game, to be the person who's going one-on-one and to get the best shot that you can get in those situations. And I think he said after the game, look, they were trying to attack James Harden and all that. And some people questioned that as a strategy. Um, 
just because, you know, he's actually a pretty good post defender. So like trying to isolate on Harden is, you know, not the easiest uh, thing in the world. I understand that, but it should really just be about Giannis. The ball needs to be in your hands. Everybody else gets out of your way and you're good enough to make the right read. So if you get doubled, you can find a teammate with the pass. That's fine. But, you know, put it all on your own shoulders. That's what I wanted to see from Giannis. And hopefully we'll see that in future very, very important All-Star games, but also, uh, of course, in the playoffs. But the one thing that needs that was left out of both these emails is the quality of personnel that he was going against. And you can't completely excuse Giannis because he's the one who did the drafting. But it's no shame, Michael, to struggle in late game offensive situations against Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, James Harden, and Chris Paul, who are all going balls to the wall, playing as hard as they possibly can. You know what? That might shut down a few other high-level players as well. If you switch LeBron and Giannis, I think LeBron would have struggled against that lineup as well. And so there's not, you know, this incredible amount of like, you know, existential crisis about the, the nature of Giannis's offensive game based on who he was going against and also based on the quality of teammates that he had around him. I, I do think that's worth pointing out um, as well. No, that's a great point. And I do think that if LeBron and Giannis swapped teams, then Team Giannis would have for sure won. But it is also about kind of like pecking order and hierarchy. And as you said, like LeBron down the stretch, he had Kawhi on his team. He had AD on his team. He had the ball in his hands the whole time. Like, like he was not even Harden. Um, he was forcing the defense to react to him. And yeah, Giannis just did not behave the same way. And some of that was out of his control. I mean, I just keep going back to one play that I said in our last episode where, you know, Giannis has his hands up and he's he's running towards Embiid, like thinking that he's going to get a dribble handoff or something, because that would make logical sense. And Embiid keeps the ball and backs down LeBron James from the three-point line. So uh, there's really not much you can do about that. But again, like you said, Giannis picked his teammates. So so that was probably not the wisest decision on his part. Yeah, he, he made his bed and he had to lay in it. And that's kind of how it went. Um, well, thanks everyone for those incredible emails. We covered a wide gamut of all-star related questions. Mike, we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming uh, next week because the games are picking up. We're taping this on a Thursday. Games are picking back up uh, Thursday night. But guys, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. We've already got a lot of questions about my favorite player, Root Canal Reggie Jackson, potentially going to uh, the Los Angeles Clippers uh, and some other you know buyout type moves around the edges. I'm sure we'll dig into that next week. But in the meantime, guys, please go to Apple Podcasts and search for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. He's also writing regularly over at SBNation.com slash NBA. Michael, I've been really impressed with your plugs of your work on today's show. Keep that going. Very smooth, like a 12-year podcast pro. Uh, you guys can check me out on Twitter at Ben Golliver. Sign up for my newsletter. The link's at the top of my page. Also, I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver. Check me out on there for all sorts of fire content. Okay, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast 
is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.